we continue to walk through John 6, we began to see this long, lengthy sermon that Jesus has given about the bread of life. And so if you would, look with me, and we'll start in 32. We're going to read through 40. That will be our emphasis today. So John 6, 32. So Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So today's message is one of great hope. As I said, we are stepping into a long sermon from Jesus about the bread of life um, that he has given to the world so that they may know the glory of who he is. And in this, he is explaining his nature and what is required of us in regard to having a relationship um, with him. More than ever in our day and time, just as it is in the text there, is these people were driven by a here and now mentality. I've got to have it now. Um, I, I, and just, just this drive and this thing that um, continues to dominate our lives. And so, if we were honest this morning, we would say we Christ followers are not immune for that as well, that sometimes we can really get caught up in, in, in just um, losing sight of what's the most important thing for things that uh, are lesser importance, but maybe are needful, but just placing more perspective on them or more emphasis on them than we actually need to. And so what I want to do today as we begin is I just want to remind us as we start this morning that we, we need a fresh look at Jesus, and He will give us that, this today about the immediate and, and, and looking beyond just the now and seeing the incredible glory of who He is. Getting caught up in the daily grind of the here and now um, is not unusual to any age and any time and any people. And I think sometimes getting caught up in the here and now actually adds, I don't know how it is for you, it seems to add more stress and anxiousness of just trying to, trying to make it work and trying to make it happen um, right now. And just as we see in John chapter 6, the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Philippi and he dealt with this subject matter. And I wanted to start with that before we began to walk Um, through the text today so listen to these words they are written from prison not written from looking at the mediterranean ocean and enjoying things on the beach this is written from a prison by the apostle paul not in a good place a roman prison cell throughout the world was not a place you would want to spend any time in i want you to listen to these words this is philippians 4 5 at the end paul writes the lord is at hand he is present. So Paul's in a prison and he's writing, the Lord is with me. I am not all alone. I am in this prison because of the gospel, because of my love for that. But I know this, that I am not alone. The Lord is at hand. John 6, we just read. So Jesus, the day before, has fed 5,000 people. They wake up the next day. They get in boats go across the Sea of Galilee to find him. Some run on the other side. They find him. They are in Jesus' presence. They are in God's presence, just as Paul's writing here. The Lord is present, and we can be near him. And then, listen to what Paul says. Because the Lord is at hand, do not be anxious about anything. Let me repeat that again. Because the Lord is at hand, do not be anxious, do not be worried, do not be stressed, do not be consumed about anything. Well, anything's pretty broad, so let's 
make it specific. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about your kids. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about a virus. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about the election. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about your marriage. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious and worried about your anxiety. Sometimes that takes place. We are anxious about our anxiousness and our anxiety. The Lord is at hand. Do not be so anxious and worried about the now. And here's why this is so critical. But in everything, here's what you do. Life is tough. It's overwhelming. And there's a natural tendency in our hearts to to worry about what does the future hold? How, How is this going to turn out? And listen to what Paul writes. But in everything... Like all of those things above, kids, a virus, an election, marriage, anxiety, the now, finances. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, let your requests, lay things out to God. Give them to Him. Make them known. Communicate these things to Him. Make them known to God. And listen to what Paul says. And the peace of God. Our world is clamoring for peace. Clamming for a settledness to come. And the peace of God, which surpasses surpasses understanding, it goes beyond. Because you look at some situations, you're like, okay, this, how are we functioning? How are we living? Because God has a supernatural power in His presence to settle in our lives that everything is going to be okay. Not because we are in control, But because He is sovereignly in control, and this peace of God that surpasses all our understanding, guess what it does? It guards our hearts, and it guards our minds to know that He is in control and that we can trust Him. And so if you're here today, and you're like the people in John chapter 6, or you're here like just like us in the room can be this morning, and we need the peace of God to come in these troubled times, I want to remind you now this morning, it is offered in the room today. It's offered from His hand to us. You don't need my peace. I can't give you much. You don't need your peace, and I don't need your peace. We definitely don't need the world's peace. We need His peace. We need His peace to settle in our lives to not be so consumed about the here and now and to be anxious about things and to see, as we will see today, that He is worthy of our trust. He's worthy of our trust. So let's look at the first thing this morning. John chapter 6, verse 33. I'm going to hold a bag up today. Cheesecake factory bread, those rolls. You ever been to Cheesecake Factory and those rolls? I don't have any of the hot butter and all the other things, but, but uh, if, you're, if you're a good listener, I'll be watching today. I might warm one up in the microwave for you after, um, after the service. But I'm going to hold these up because here's our option, church. The people have come seeking Jesus, wanting this. They're not going to want him. We're going to see. They don't want him. They want this. Could he give this again? And they won't want him. And we can go, golly, what's wrong with them, right? Because we're real good at that, looking back at these Bible people going, what is wrong with them? Because we, in the year 2020, would never do what they did. We're just wiser. After 2,000 years of church history, we've learned from all of their mistakes, and we've just mastered this. We are just like them. We want bread, physical things, more than we want Him. And I want to show us today why that should not be the case. Why we should come to Him in a passionate way. So the first thing I want to see this morning is in verse 33. And the first point is the bread of God and the life for the world. And this is what, this is what John 6.33 says. For the bread of God is He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So the bread of God, the peace of God, the life of God, the mercy of God, the grace of God, they are not things. They are Jesus. Jesus is all of that reality for us. And you and I know this. There is bread that comes from the oven and there's bread that comes from heaven. And we need both, 
But the primary bread that we need is the bread that comes from heaven. Because we know this, Matthew 6.33. And before you get to Matthew 6.33, Jesus tells us, don't worry about your life. Don't be so anxious about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, or what you're going to wear. Because here's the deal. The Father clothes the lilies of the field, and He takes care of the birds of the air. How much more value do you have than flowers and the birds of the air. Yes, God creates those as well, but we are created in His image. And so He tells us, listen, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and guess what He'll do? He will provide for you, make His kingdom the priority. And so so Jesus just says here, He says, listen, the bread of God is He who comes down from heaven. And so when He says this phrase, is He who comes down from heaven, it should have settled it for them. They've come for more of yesterday's bread. Could He he replicate that again? Hey, could you do what you did yesterday? And Jesus, when He says, is He who comes down from heaven, they should have listened and said, okay, He's not talking about yesterday. He's not talking about all that stuff that got passed out, 12 basketfuls left over. He's talking about a person So who is he talking about? Both breads, again, are important. The manna bread of the Old Testament was important. And the Messiah being the bread is really important. And so Jesus is communicating the bread of God is he. It's a person who was in heaven and who came down from heaven to the earth and The manna was for the Jews. The Jews got to eat the manna. Jesus is a different manna. He's for the whole world. And if you come and you eat of Him, you will be satisfied. There will be fulfillment in your life. And sometimes we are just like the people here, as we've said. We can often rely on the provision of God or long for the provision of God far more than we long for Christ Himself. And he, it's amazing that he took care of those people in the wilderness for 40 years, just provided every day bread for them. And there's something more glorious in the room this morning, and it's this, is that he didn't, he, we didn't wake up this morning, go to the backyard and find bread on the ground. We woke up this morning, those of us who know Christ, secure in our salvation in the eternal Son of God. And that's far better. It's far better. Because the bread of this life, as you know, it doesn't last. I could give you one of these rolls. I could go heat it up now. I could put some butter on it. I could give it to you. In about two hours, you're gonna, what, what are you going to need to do? You're going to need to eat again. So this bread, though important, doesn't last. He being the bread lasts forever. So let's, let's just break, it, let's break down briefly here. Verse 33. So here's what Jesus says. For the bread, for the bread of God is he who comes down so watch he a person comes down he comes near so jesus is communicating listen this bread you're longing for you you're wanting this you're wanting me to do what i did yesterday but i'm here to tell you something far greater the bread of heaven a person myself and i'll make that more clear in a moment has come down to be near to you and i'm standing in the midst of you and y'all been waiting for me to come you're messiah you've been waiting for thousands of years for me to come and now i am here they didn't call him to come down or do a bunch of stuff so that he would come down he came down at just the right time paul writes in the book of galatians and rather than pursuing the fleeting moments and pursuits of our lives for some kind of satisfaction they and we should seek the bread of life to be the sustenance for our lives man it was good for a day but jesus provided that which will last us for all of eternity go to go to verse 57 for a moment if you've got your bibles open still of john 6 as the living father sent me and i live because of the father so whoever feeds on me he also will live. In other words, Jesus is saying, whoever takes me in, he also will live because of me. And this is the bread, 58 says, that came down from heaven, not like the bread that the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. So watch this. So the Old Testament for 40 years, they would wake up six days and there would be manna there. They would gather enough um, for the Sabbath 
a, a, an extra portion to make it for the Sabbath. And for 40 years, this was the practice of God. And so probably several million people ate the manna. You know what happened to every single one of them? They all died. And Jesus is saying, I've come to offer something that doesn't keep you in your sin and stuck in your sin. I have come to be the bread who's come down from heaven. If you will eat of this bread, you will live forever. This is not just a, how do we make it through the rest of the week? This is an eternal thing to take him in. And notice what he says there, the third thing. And he gives life to the world. His purpose it was a divine one, was to give life to the world. So look at these three things Jesus wants us to understand this morning. So they've come for this. They're going to need more of this all day long. They're going to need it the next day. But there is a security that comes because He who came down from heaven, the bread of God, came. So from heaven, it's the origin. He, a person, He came here, came near to give off, to offer life to everyone in the world. So this is a personal relationship. Jesus is stressing. This is God has come near to people. He comes down. He didn't ask us to come up. We couldn't come up. But He came down to us, and He's the giver of life to the world. And by the way, He is present in this room right now in this moment in the most significant, powerful way He is present today. And He is the food for our soul that we need. Therefore, He is the soul food that we need for our existence and for life. He becomes the nourishment for our lives. But here's the problem. Look at 34. So he's told them, listen, this is a he, this is not a bread, this is not physical things, this is not something that's baked. The problem is, there's just so much desiring of the gift of God instead of the person of God. And so in John 6, 34, they said to him, kind of interrupt him as he says that, Sir, give us this bread always. Now, we've seen before in John, and we will see later, that there are people who encounter Jesus. And you know what they say? They say, Lord. So they've not made the connection that the day before when he fed all of the 5,000 and all that stuff happened, it should have led them to see that this is the Son of God. This is, this is God in our midst. The Messiah is here. And so they have, they have missed this reality, and they are, they've come the next day desiring to do more of that, wanting the gift instead of the person of God. And so they say, Sir, give us this bread always. They're not listening to Him. It's not this bread. It is He who comes down from heaven. He is the bread. They should have said, Okay, so who is this bread? Are you this bread? We're not fully understanding. Can you help us understand? Because you've just said that the bread is He who comes down out of heaven. So is that you or is that someone else that you're talking about. Now look at the next thing they said. This bread, give us. It is always good in our lives to desire things in line with God's will. It is not right to demand of God from a place of selfishness. And that's what they're doing. Hey, that was great yesterday. They have no idea about Cheesecake Factory rolls. They, you know, they probably had good bread back then, but I mean, gosh, you know, th- th- they just had no idea. But, 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 but to miss out and to long for this, as good as it briefly tastes, and to miss out on Jesus is the utmost tragedy. And they are at this place where they're like, give us, we're, we give, a, give us, give us, give us now. We, we are hungry. You fed us yesterday, we're hungry today. Give us this. And then he uses the phrase always. His presence with his people is always there. It is always present. It is always good. It is always satisfying. But they just want bread. They don't want him. And it's shallow, earthy thinking. And the reality is, is they want a full stomach. They just don't want a full life. And we should want a full life that is in depth and connected to the glory 
of Christ. And I believe this is, sadly, this is still the case all around us today. And sometimes, um, again, we fall with this, that far too many churchgoers and Christ followers love God's hand more than they love God's glorious nature. And I love when God moves. I love His hand. I love that. But we want to love His nature and the glory of who He is more than anything. And they love the gift of bread. They don't love the giver of the bread. And if they loved the giver of the bread, they would have been saying to Him, we love you. Who are you? We want to know you. Help us understand. And so they desire the gift instead of the giver, and they missed who was standing in their midst. And one of the great dangers, I think, screams out of this text for Christians. It's a spiritual danger, and it's this, is that we would never move to a place of thinking, of, of thinking about Christ spiritually, with a spiritual mind. And so they've come to Christ. They've come to the right person. They've given energy rowing sailing, running, they've lost sleep, they're sweating, they get to the right person and they miss out. They don't see the spiritual connection that yesterday was not about tummy stuff. Yesterday was about eternal life. It was about coming to see the glory of Christ. And again, this group has come to the right person. But it was all about personal benefit. It was not about personal love for Jesus. They just wanted him to give them more. In church, we can't get stuck here. There must come a time in all of our lives where we move beyond thinking about God, thinking about Christ, and just purely him moving. And he moves. We want to get to the place where foundationally, We understand his nature, and when we understand his nature, then we understand why he moves, why we should pray certain things, why we should long for certain things, because it's from knowing him. Our Bible study method, what's the first question we ask? Who he is. And once we know who he is, we know that he reveals his will to us from connected to who he is. And so we don't want to get stuck there, because here's why. You know what, eventually... People who long for the hand of God over the nature of God, you know what they, at some particular point in time, you know what they end up doing? Exactly what we see at the end of John chapter 6. You know what they do? Jesus is, we'll see this next week. He's going to talk about eating his flesh and drinking his blood, and he's going to speak these words. And, And what he means is, not cannibalism, he means you've got to take me in. You've got to take me into your life. I've got to become your life. You've got to drink me. You've got to eat me. I've got to become your life. You've got to see that I am life and I'm the one who's the bread of life who's come. You've got to do that. They will hear these words and they will only think what? They will only think physically, never move to a spiritual thinking. And you know what they eventually do? They turn their back and they walk away. And Jesus at that moment will turn to the 12 and say, are y'all going to go with everybody else? And Peter's going to, he's just going to beautifully say, Lord, where in the world would we go? You're the Holy One of Israel. You have the words of life. And so for every one of us in the room, we've got to make this transition in our lives. Let's look at the third thing. Jesus, because they don't get it, it's like, okay. You ever feel like he does this to you? He just comes and goes, are you ever going to get it? And he just knocks on our head really loud and like, okay, okay, since you can't get it, I'm going to note no more parables. I'm just going to tell you plainly. So he does. Look at 35. So Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. In case you've got confusion, no more confusion. Here's what I'm saying. I am the bread of life and whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And so in the very beginning, I said, this is a hope-filled section of this sermon. And so what I want to do is I want to make sure that you and I sense this and we, we see this reality is that Jesus getting to the heart of the matter is calling us to see that he is the bread of heaven that satisfies. And so he says, I am the bread of life. This is the first of seven I am statements that he makes in the Gospel of John. And it's a, it's a connection to the word Yahweh. And he's saying this, I am who I am. And when Jesus said this, I am the bread of life, they would have immediately thought Moses, burning bush, 
God speaking from the bush to Moses saying, I am. So what is Jesus saying right here? Is he hinting or is he kind of shadowing he's God? He's not shadowing at all. He's saying this, I am God. I'm the one who's God who came from heaven. I am, I am God and I am the one who is the bread of life. I am the bread of life. I give life to sustain and I, I'm, I, I can give the bread that I gave you yesterday and I could do that again right now, but that's not what I'm going to do. I want to give you something much greater. By the way, just this is for free. Jesus was born in the city of Bethlehem. Does anybody know what Bethlehem means? City of bread. It means bread. So here's the bread of life who comes down of heaven who uniquely, sovereignly was going to be born, prophesied he would be born in Bethlehem the city of bread. You think he wants us to understand something about him being the bread of life. Every place on the planet today, if we could go to the richest person on the planet today's house, you know what you would find in that house? You would find bread. I could go to a Nepal village today, just those of us who have been there, poor, poor, poor. You know what you'd find in that house? You'd find bread. So watch what Jesus does here. He makes one of the most common things from the rich and the small and all of the in-between. And he says this, I am the one who has come down from heaven to give life to the world. In other words, I am the one who is the nourishment of the world. You must come to me and you must eat of me. And, And so Jesus just tells them that he is the world's staple for sustaining life and continued satisfaction and if you want the bread that jesus gives then you've got to come we have got to come to jesus himself and so he tells them here okay y'all have missed it you think this sir give us this bread always and i'm here to tell you i want to give myself to you i am the bread and so he says listen i've been talking about myself everyone i am the one who satisfies your deepest spiritual longings and so let me ask the question this morning where are you and i going for this life that he offers this is from jesus saying this is a transforming relationship i want to radically change your life i want to fill up your life with myself and you will find a satisfaction that is incredibly filling It is good, it is lasting, it is full of peace, it is full of love, it is everything that you have longed for. And Jesus says this, this is not going to be a food service. But what it is going to be is this, is I'm going to give my life for you. And whoever comes to me, he says, shall not hunger. And he offers so much more than this. So much more than this. For if they would receive Him as the bread of life, they would not hunger for the essence of life ever again. And I believe our hunger for the essence of life, our hunger for spiritual matters, meets its end in a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. And once we come to know Him, it ends there. In case we were to miss out on this, not only does our hunger end there, but then He says this, and whoever believes in Me shall never thirst The thirst is gone, too. Two great things we need for life, right? Bread and water. And he is both of those things. And the invitation in this room this morning is, come to me, I I satisfy, give up those pursuits because they won't last. In John chapter 7, about Christmas time, we'll be there. And he speaks about on the last and greatest day of this feast where they remembered when water came out of the rock and every day the priest would go and would, would pick up water and they would bring it in and they would pour it over the altar and water would come and they remembered God's provision. On the last and greatest day when they didn't pour water, Jesus stood up and said, let anybody who's thirsty, let them come to me and drink. So in other words, church, he's the point. He's the point. And I want to point to him today. I, I, I can't offer you anything. I can just proclaim Him today. And I can point you and I to Him and, and remind one another. We can look at one another and say, come to Jesus. He satisfies. The world will not satisfy. 
Let me give an illustration. Yesterday I did something. North Plano, South McKinney, just off, just south of, of 121 off Custer. I went to the county dump. And it's so fun to go to the county dump. And I had an old couch in the back of my truck. And I couldn't wait to slide it out. And I like to be not at the front. I like to be at the end where it's really deep. Because I love that stuff falling out and just crashing down there. And I watched, I sat on the road for 10 minutes before I could even get inside because there's so many people trying to get in from both sides. And I watched car after car after car and myself throwing things away that at one point in time, a lot of money had been spent on them. They were important things, but you know what? They were of no use anymore. And this is the point of the dump. Really, spiritual point of the dump. If there is a spiritual point of the dump, here's the spiritual point of the dump. The things of this earth don't last. They don't. These great cars, these great houses, these great whatever we have, they don't last and they will be gone. And one day it will all be destroyed by fire when he brings his final judgment on all this well he's made it clear they're still not clear but he's gonna say something to them here's the fourth thing faith is always more than sight look at verse 36 but he said but i have said to you you have seen me and you do not believe and so he he said to them in essence this y'all have been waiting for thousands of years for me to come and i'm finally here your generation has gotten to see the messiah every other generation Look down the road longing for me to come, and I've come, I'm in the midst of you, and you see me and you don't believe. They didn't see me, and many of them believed, and now I'm here, and I'm right before you. I've, I did a miracle yesterday. It's why you follow me all the way around the, the, the Sea of Galilee to get in my presence again, because you want me to do something, and so you see me, but you do not believe and see he knew what was in their hearts he knew that they wanted the blessings and the benefits that he could give but they were not going to be willing to yield their heart for him as lord there was a longing in their hearts for the hand of god more than the nature of god and you know what happens every time i said a while ago it'll eventually lead to someone or a group or a denomination or a church from walking away from the bread of life. And so what's the issue? Well, the issue ultimately is a lack of faith. I have never seen heaven. And if you have, I question you if you have. I've not seen it. But I believe that it's real. I believe that it's true. I trust in the promises. Here's what the writer of Hebrews says. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. I've never seen heaven And I have the greatest hope this morning that it is all true. So faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. I've not seen it. I've never seen Jesus literally. But I have a conviction that He's real. He's true. He's everything that the Scripture says about Him. And I believe that one day I'm going to see Him. And I believe that we will, we will spend an eternity in His presence where there's not a need for a, a sun or a moon, that the Son of God will light up the place and we will live in that reality for all of eternity. That's the reality of what's coming to those who believe in the Son of God. And so I have not seen Him, and yet I believe. You've not seen Him, and yet we believe and we trust. There's a conviction that's settled in our hearts That it's all true. And by the way, if you don't have faith, guess what? You can never please God. This is Hebrews 11.6. And without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. What was their problem? It was just like it was with John the Baptist. They went out to John the Baptist and for a while they loved being in the light of John the Baptist, this lamp that was shining out there. And then after a while, they didn't like what John had to say either. And they kind of moved away from John, and they're about to do this with Jesus. The miracles had brought a crowd, but that crowd eventually couldn't swallow the bread. It just got stuck here, and they, they just spit it back up. They didn't, they didn't want it. 
It was just too much for them. Well, all that's some sad news and some really good news for those of us whose love is deeply connected to him. But I want to, next three things here, I just want to really talk about the incredible hope that is ours. John wrote his gospel that we may believe. It's back there on the wall, the gospel of John, that you may believe. He says that in John chapter 20 and 21. This gospel was written so that people would believe. And so I want to share some things right now that I hope we believe, hope we embrace, I hope these are important things to us. Look at the first part of verse 37. And I want to talk about the gifts of the Father to Jesus. This is amazing stuff. All that the Father gives me will come to me. Not might come to me, hope to come to me. All that the Father gives me will come come to me and I want to just stop right there and we'll get to the second part of 37 in a moment I want to talk about the gifts of the father to Jesus okay this is not a complicated question and I'm going to ask it out loud so it's I promise it's not complicated how much is all is it all is it everything okay all right so, let, so we're in agreement there. All is all. That doesn't mean, now what he's saying here, he doesn't mean that everybody's going to heaven. That's not what he's saying. There's no universalism that everybody's eventually going to get to heaven. In this context, it means all those who believe, everyone who believes, all that the Father gives me, the ones who will believe, they will come to me. So all that the Father gives to Jesus by faith, those who have faith, they will come to Jesus. And so this is, again, this is not talking about universalism. Everybody eventually gets there. But I, I want you to think about this for a moment because it's just absolutely incredible. Jesus says, the Father gives me. This happens every time somebody comes to faith. You know what the Father's been doing? He's been drawing people. He's been drawing people. He's been pulling people. He's been revealing things to people. Go to verse 44. About seven verses away there in John 6. No one, Jesus said, can come to me unless what? What does it say? Unless the Father draws, the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. So watch the beauty of this. So God's at work all over the world today. The Father's drawing people to give them to Jesus. In salvation. So at age 17, the end of my junior year, I didn't know it my junior year, I had no idea, but I look back now, all these years later, and I can see my whole junior year in 1983, God was at work in my life. He was drawing me. I didn't know it. Through circumstances, through new relationships, through a number of different things, He was drawing me. And so in April, of 1983 on a Sunday night in Waco, Texas at a church that I hated to go to. My parents made me go. I didn't even want to be there. I showed up at church for a testimony service of a youth retreat that I didn't even go to. Now, how do you, how do you end up at a testimony service of a retreat that you didn't go to? You know how you end up there? God's been drawing you. And I'm sitting in a room, and I'm not even for sure why I'm there that night. I really don't. I don't even know why I'm sitting in the room, because I don't know what anybody's talking about. I didn't see anything. I didn't experience anything. I didn't know. I didn't, any, and I'm sitting there, and after it was all over, watching people that I used to make fun of in my school because they were believers, I walked up to the youth pastor and said, I want what all those people have, because I don't have it. And I sat down, and I trusted, and I gave my life to Christ and I believe and I know this that all that time he was he was drawing me he was drawing me and you get to a place and I know this to be true where his grace is irresistible and you can't refuse it it's just irresistible and that night I I couldn't go home I couldn't go home without getting it settled now watch what's the point of all this here's the beauty of it If you know Christ in this room this morning, listen to this reality. The Father gives gifts to Jesus 
That's people drawing them to come to salvation. Guess who that is? Guess who these gifts are that are given to Jesus from the Father? It is us, believers. So, so the Father draws people, brings them to Jesus. There's a revelation, there's salvation that happens. And so we become this unique gift of the Father to Jesus. And then later, Paul writes, do you know what Jesus does? He's establishing this kingdom, this people, and he will present it to his Father. So this beauty that's this kind of cyclical, I guess, in a sense. I don't know if that's the right word. but So the Father draws people and gives them to Jesus. And then Jesus has this group in this kingdom, and he gives it back to the Father to honor the Father. And that's us. And it's not because we are special, because I look in this room, ain't nobody special in this room. I can tell you that. The uniqueness and the beauty of that is because he's special. He's stupendous. And he makes people like you and I become the beautiful gifts that the Father gives to the Son. And when the Son, when, when this gift comes to the Son, we, the gifts of the Father to Jesus, guess what we get in that? Look at the second part of 37. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Let's put all the 37 together. So all that the Father gives me, they will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Now this is amazing. And here's the f- sixth point. Those who become the gift of the Father to the Son and respond to His irresistible grace, they get a security and a love because they have come to Jesus that is unlike anything in this life. And I thought this week, look at the last part of verse 37, cast out. We all know what that means. Shoot away, pushed away, not desired, and I thought this week about this world and how well we know that. So let me just make this personal for us. And if this touches a tender part of your heart, just let it. It's okay. Because we're going to get to a moment where you're going to see the beauty of this. I don't know if you've noticed, but this life is tough. It's just sometimes... (laughs) rough it's hard and trying to figure out things trying to deal with things it's just it's just hard and one of the things that happens sometimes is you have a husband or a wife that walks away from vows in a marriage and they leave and pursue someone else and the person who stays behind has all these questions i've been rejected i've been cast out by someone that i thought i would spend the rest of my life with and so i'm cast out and just questions of, is there a value in my life? Um, because somebody that I loved and, and someone that I'd hoped about this and, and now this is just gone and, and some of us know that feeling and that emotion. Some of us also know something like this in the issue of unforgiveness and things that maybe we've brought hurt to a relationship and things haven't been reconciled and there's a longing in our heart for things to be reconciled and and it's just not going to be reconciled because not everything here always gets fixed as much as we long for it to get fixed. And so sometimes we live with the reality and the hurt of the pain of, of being cast off from relationship and friendship. This next one, I've been there. I've wanted a job before and interviewed. And they, can you believe this? They called and said, we don't want to hire you. Where I wanted a promotion at a church where I was an associate youth pastor, and I wanted to be the youth pastor. And I thought it was a slam dunk. Why would they not want me to be their youth pastor? And the church said, we don't want you to be the youth pastor. We want you to stay, but we're not going to make you the head person. And we've all felt those moments of not having worth and being cast out. This has been tragic in our days in the last six months. 
leaving senior adults in a nursing home to die all by themselves and not allowing the family to go see them as they're dying of COVID. Or not allowing people to go into a hospital to be with people who are dying. I don't get that. I just call it stupid and awful and horrible that we would treat people that way. And it's happened for six months, and I'm not sure if it's happening again, but that's casting off people and not giving them value. Let me give one more of how we understand this casting off. We live in a culture that's performance-based, shame-based at times, beauty-based, performance-based. And we don't measure up. You don't measure up in sports. You don't look right. You're not the right shape. You don't have long, flowing locks of hair like me. You're not this. You're not that. Can't run fast enough. Your academics are not right. Your bank account's not right. You don't speak well enough. You don't measure up in everything like this. And our culture casts us off as lacking. There's a lot of stuff there. But listen, I have some good news. I have some great news. The eternal Son of God says this, I will never cast you out. I won't. I won't. If you're mine, you look to the Son, you believe in me, I'm the bread of life, and here's what I'm doing for you. I will never cast you out. Which communicates to us that our salvation is not based on our performance, it's based on His performance. And so if someone has cast you out in these days, Someone is, someone, whatever the case may be, I just want you to know this morning that in the Greek, in English, when you translate this from the Greek to English, it doesn't make any sense. This is what it sounds like if you literally, if you literally translate this phrase, and I will never cast out. In the Greek, it says this, I will not not cast out. Now, two double negatives means that it's not true. So, so it, it just is crazy for our English, and so we have to say it like this. Here's what Jesus says. I will never, 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 ever, 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 if you are my child, I will never cast you out. In my truck out there in the parking lot is my disc golf bag. About a month ago, I woke up real early in the morning to go to Garland to play this course. They have a great course there. And I threw one disc on a hole, and I'm learning the course there. And so I'd thrown one disc, and I thought, I'm going to throw my red sheriff on this just to see if maybe a different angle. And so I threw the disc, and later in the round, and then later um, the next week, I realized I left that red disc out on the course, and it was too late. It was gone. And I was disappointed because if you know disc golfers, these round things, we actually love them. We think they have heartbeats, and they're alive, and... And, uh, and that was one of my favorite discs. And I just left it out on the course for someone else. And sometimes disc offers are nice and sometimes they're not. Sometimes it's finders keepers. My name was there and my phone number was there. Well, on Thursday, I was sitting in my office and my phone rang. And it wasn't anybody, it wasn't any of you because most of you are in my phone and, and you're probably like me. If, if I don't see who it is, I don't answer it immediately because I'm like, because I just, you know, 50 telemarketers a day are calling. And, and I picked this one up. And it's a guy in Garland who a month ago found my desk and said, hey, I'll meet you anywhere and give it back to you. And I'm studying this when he calls. And I'm thinking, I just left that disc and forgot about it. And it's going to come back to me because it's the kindness of someone else. And I thought of something far more great. Is that the eternal Son of God says to His people, I will never forget you. I will never leave you in the field. I will, I will never, ever, ever cast you out. He loses none. He loses none. Is that not hope today? Just unbelievable hope that we don't deserve. <laughs> and yet it's been extended to us. Let's close with this.
Look at 38 through 40. And I want to talk about Jesus and the will of the Father, and we'll finish up here. This phrase, I have come down from heaven, will continue on in John 6. And so let's not lose sight of the repetitiveness of what Jesus is saying. He wants us to understand something. So in 38 through 40, he says, For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. And this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Four key pieces as we finish about the will of Jesus that have great implications to us in our lives. And here's the first one. He came not to do his own will, but he came to do the will of his Father. Now they are obviously one and the same. They are one, but he came not to just go off and do his own thing. He came to submit and to show us what it's like to submit to the holiness and the righteousness of God. And so he says, I have come down. He's already told them, I'm the bread of of, of life who's come down from heaven and I came not to do my own will but the will of him so Jesus's resolve was he would go to the cross for this was the father's plan for him and he would accomplish everything that the father had entrusted to him and his love is so incredibly vast and so so we have great comfort this morning that Jesus came to do the will of his father well what was the will of the father well there's a lot of things but here John writes what Jesus said on that day, and he wants us to know this. What's the beauty of this? What's part and parcel of the will of Jesus is that he would lose none of those whom the Father has given to him. He would lose none of them. They would not be left out in a field in Garland. They would not be left in a hospital bed all by themselves. And by the way, if we are left in a hospital room by ourselves and we die there, there's great news for the believer because then we step into Jesus' presence. That's a horrible thing on this side of heaven, but we're, you know this, we are headed to not this place. We are headed to a place absolutely opposite, flipped um, this place. And so part of the will of the Father is that Jesus would lose nothing given to him. So he says in 39, this is the will of him who sent me. This is my purpose, that I should lose nothing of all that the Father has given me. That is obedience. I mean, it's just righteousness, all fulfillment of the law. Everything that the Father had entrusted Jesus to do, he was going to do it. And none would be lost. And I think we've got to take his word serious here about our security The security here could be referred to as what we might call the perseverance of the saints, meaning this, if you've come to faith, you will finish the faith. There will be a finishing aspect of persevering that people who come to Christ, they will pursue Christ. And and another way we could say that, so there's the perseverance of the saints, but Jesus also preserves the saints, that he takes care of us, that he keeps us. We're not keeping ourselves. Psalm 145.20 says this, The Lord preserves all who love Him, but all the wicked He will destroy. You see, He came to be the only satisfying sacrifice for our sin, and everybody who comes to Christ will be held and will be secure in Him because all that the Father gives Him, He would not lose in the will of Jesus The will of the Father was that Jesus would come and He would do everything that the Father wanted. Jesus did everything that the Father wanted, meaning this, that when the Father drew people to Jesus and they came to faith, Jesus would keep them. None would be lost. None would be discarded and cast out. So He would lose nothing. Here's the third will according to Jesus here. And He would raise it up on the last day. None that belong to him will be forgotten or left here and discarded. And sometimes in this life we can be forgotten. I remember years ago my grandfather was a pastor and he had come to Christ after World War II and and quickly God called him into the ministry. And I remember in his last days um, we're getting ready to go to Ukraine on a mission trip. And 
And I went out and I spent some time with him because we just didn't know and spent some time with him. And he, he just stared out the window those last weeks a lot. And I'd go down to Waco and I'd talk with him and I'd, and I'd say, Papa, what are, you, what are you doing? He said, I'm just looking. I'm just longing because I know where I'm going next. I know what's next for me. And I remember meeting with him the last time I was with him and he said, so what are they saying? And I said, well, do you really want to know? And he said, yeah. I said, you don't have much time. And he said, will you just read to me? And he had his King James Bible there, and so I just opened it up and found all those highlighted text and underlined text in there that he preached out of that Bible for years and years, and I just read the Scripture for hours. You see, later in his life, nobody asked him to come preach anymore because he was too old. Got to have young people to preach. And yet he didn't lose sight of the hope that's there. It's not about whether you're discarded or not, it's whether you belong to Jesus. Here's the last thing about Jesus and the will of the Father. Look at 40. And this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. So hear the beauty of this as we finish up. Jesus has been sent by the Father. When Jesus was here, the Father would draw people to Jesus. People would believe and the Son would receive the people and the Son would keep the people. And then the Son, at the end of the age, will raise the people to eternal life. Peter wrote it like this in 1 Peter 1.5, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So here's Jesus. He does the will of the Father. The will of the Father is that Jesus would, would follow perfectly the will of the Father, and He did so. And because He did so, Jesus would lose nothing of everything that the Father gave Him. The will of the Father that is that Jesus would raise people up at the last day. And the will of the Father is that we would look on the Son by belief unto eternal life, in heaven, and He will raise us up on the last day. And because He accomplished the Father's will perfectly, our salvation and our lives are secure. I want you to turn to First John, and, and I want to read this one last thing. If you don't know where First John is, go to Revelation, last book, turn left, and you'll get to this powerful letter that John wrote. You can go to 1 John chapter 3. And we're going to read 1 through 3. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God and so we are. Love it. It's so we are. And the reason why the world doesn't get us and doesn't know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now. That's what we are now, but what we will be is going to be something unique, and what we will be has not yet appeared. It's coming. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. Now look up here. Let's stop for a moment. Here, here's, here's the reality. I want you to think of where all the bodies are since the Garden of Eden. Every person who believed, those bodies are just crazy places all over the world. Top of mountains, oceans. They were in sharks. Eaten by lions. Beheaded. Buried, burned. Watch. He knows where all the bodies are. And when He comes back, every believer, and Jesus, it's been said there, He will raise it up on the last day. And He will reunite this body that's just been gone for thousands of years with the soul of a believer. 
and he will raise it up on the last day and we will be like him. Like him. And when he raises us and we see, did you notice what it says? And we see the glory of who he is, we will be transformed into the image that we are seeing. Paul wrote this in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, that with unveiled faces we are being transformed by, from one degree of glory to another because we behold the glory of Christ here by looking at the Word. But at the end days, we will see Him. Can you wait? I cannot wait to see King Jesus. He's going to come back and raise His people. And the heart of this morning is to encourage us that our salvation is secure. The talk next week is going to be tougher when we talk about flesh and sacrificing yourself and all of this kind of stuff. But He's calling us to come to know Him and, and to know the glory that our salvation rests in Him and not in us. Thank You for the cross. Thank You for the blood. Thank you for the hope that we have. I hope you feel that this morning. Let's pray.